welcome to the Patreon-only part of our podcast, where we talk about random evangelical artifacts once a month. Yeah, except uh, this month we decided we're going to put this up on the main feed, so everybody can listen and get, I don't know, get a taste of what we do mm-hmm. uh, once a month. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's usually just a random sort of thing. It's been Brio Magazine. Last time it was WoW 1999. Yeah. And today we're going to talk about a weird claymation uh, show called Davy and Goliath from like the 60s and 70s. Yeah. So we, uh, like everybody else, we're in this fog of this really tumultuous time in American politics and just social upheaval. We have the global pandemic still going on. And then we've experienced the past few weeks just this incredible time of reckoning with America's history of racial violence, really sort of honing in specifically on the police system and how the police system has disproportionately targeted mm-hmm. African-Americans. And uh, yeah, so we see a lot of people waking up to some of these realities for the first time. We see other people who have known about this, who've uh, had the lived experiences of being black in America and a really racialized society. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be exhausting for them, right? Watching all those white people slowly wake up, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm thinking about the people that have been talking about this for oh years gosh. and years, and rather than being celebrated, have been you know lost so many uh, you know ministries, speaking opportunities, yeah. book deals, like whatever it is, people, right? Because so we're talking specifically about the American Evangelical Church. Mm-hmm. You and I always talk about the fact that we are white evangelicals, obviously. Mm-hmm. Not all evangelicals are white, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to be like we're excluding people from our conversations, our experiences. Mm-hmm. But I think there have been really different experiences for white people. And I would say, you know, people of color, but probably specifically black mm-hmm. evangelicals, right? And so we don't speak to that history right. at all because we have not experienced it. But we don't want to act like there aren't so many black Christians in, in the U.S., right? Yeah, right? yeah, 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 right. I, I mean, I think that what we're basically saying is, like, the problem here is white supremacy. Right. And white supremacy is a white evangelical church problem. Yes. Yeah, and I think you and I have been on a journey. Um, how many years have we been doing our fasting and praying against white supremacy? Um, for a few years. I feel like that started in... We've been praying for a long time. I feel like that's I feel like that started when Trump was elected. Okay. Yeah. And so just for us it's been important to name what we are praying against. Um mm. we're not praying against uh racialized unrest. You know, mm-hmm. we're praying against white supremacy, because that's right. the problem. Mm-hmm. Um so that kind of ties into what we're gonna talk about today. I did want to bring up something in our, you know, Christian circles. We I've seen a post floating around a lot that has some ties to our podcast, The Prophetic Imagination Station, because we always talk about evangelical artifacts. Um, and a huge evangelical artifact is VeggieTales. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people have asked us to talk about VeggieTales before, but we haven't really talked about it because it's, there's not a lot to say. It's definitely not the worst um, thing yeah. out there. Our kids watch it on Sundays so that mm-hmm. we can listen to our church. Um, we did do a Christmas episode about that's it. That's true. I love that one. So so we've been pretty positive about VeggieTales, and then... The creator of VeggieTales, Phil Vischer, put out a video, and uh, how would you sum up that video? Um, having not watched it, I oh, would... I told you to watch it. Oh my gosh! Okay, now I really want to hear you sum it up. Okay. 
As I understand it, it's a uh, summary of the history of race in America. Uh-huh. Um, and like, a, a and I like identification of like, here are the dynamics and here's how we've gotten to where we are today. Yeah. So that's great. Now, can I ask you a question? <laughs> Why did you not want to watch it? I think this is an important question. Well, I just haven't. Well, okay. Part of it was like, I'm like, I think I've probably seen it before. The other was like, mean? or sorry, not seen it before, but I'm like, probably a lot of this would like I've known about. Okay. Um, and then this morning I was like, do I want to watch that video or do I want to read, uh, I bring the voices of my people by, um, Shaniqua Walker Barnes, which, yes, doctor, um, (laughs) Shaniqua Walker Barnes, it doesn't say that on the book. Okay. Um, and so, but I mean, that's not, you know. I want to watch it. Right. So I think that's important because I did not want to watch it. I saw it a million, billion times on Facebook, uh-huh. quite a bit on Twitter, even though I'm trying to trying to pull back on the mm-hmm. social media in my life. Um, and I guess my first thought was like, I don't need the VeggieTales guy to talk to me about America's history of racial injustice. I did watch it. I thought it was really well done. In fact... As I was watching it, I was really reminded of the scene from the movie Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow, which you know I love. And mm-hmm. she's reading the rejection, like the the proposal letter that her friend gets from this like guy that she assumes is really beneath her, a farmer guy. And she's like, "Tis a good letter. Mm-hmm. My sisters must have wrote it for him." You know, I really I had was that, like, "Where is this I going? really had that thought when I watched <laughs> the video. I was like, "It is a good video." <laughs> He must have had help writing this, you know, uh, right. <laughs> which is really unfair of me. I've actually heard Phil Vischer speak in person, and he, he's a wonderful speaker, a great communicator. Mm. I think he's doing a lot. My new theory is VeggieTales has been a long con this whole time so that Bob the Tomato could convince white people that racism exists in America because I think he's convincing people. Mm-hmm. I, I really do. Now, if you go to the end of his video, you'll see the sources he used, and he basically turns Michelle Alexander's book, The New Jim Crow, into a very digestible format, um, Mm -hmm. complete with images of just a boom, 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 Mm -hmm. here's how we got here, and here's where black anger is coming from, which I thought was Mm -hmm. really important. I don't think he used those exact words, but it's like, Mm -hmm. why are people upset? Why are people protesting? Why are people... Mm -hmm. By the time you get to the end of the video... Like, you just want to scream. Mm. You want to scream. Because one of the last things he talks about is if you have a white boy, he has a 1 in 23 chance of going to prison in his lifetime. If you have a black boy, he has a 1 in 4 chance. Mm. And Phil ends the video by being like, so what do we do? He's basically just laid out the fact that from the beginning, including the police, but he's he's mostly focused on wealth building, which I think is really important, and we can't get into all that. Mm -hmm. But wealth building really is at the crux of the issue here for why there's so much economic inequality between African Americans and white people in the U.S. Um, So he talks about redlining, all that, but really focusing in on the prison industrial complex and how the police have been a part of funneling black people into the prison system, which basically operates as slave labor for many products that we we buy and purchase. Um, Anyways, at the very end of all this, you see that about one in four black boys going to prison. You know, you and I, our nephew is black. He -hmm. is five years old. And and so, like, obviously that's what I'm thinking of. I'm not thinking about my own five-year-old who has a one in 23 chance, which still sucks. Mm -hmm. That's high. Mm -hmm. But thinking about my nephew and it's just like something has to change. Something has to change. And Phil Vischer just ends the video by being like, so what do we do? Mm. He's like, I'm just asking you to care. And then it's like dead silent. 
Mm. for like 20 seconds and he's just like staring at the viewer Mm. so that is kind of what you and i also i think are doing with our podcast and with our writing we we are trying to ask people to care Mm -hmm. and it's a hard ask right sometimes Mm -hmm. because it's easier to not get involved Mm. in the struggle because you don't want to be implicated is a lot to learn it's a lot to unlearn Mm -hmm. um yeah, so I really liked the video. Are there right. valid concerns? Could people be learning this information by reading The New Jim Crow, written by a black woman who's mm-hmm. incredible? Yes. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to read that book. Right. I thought it was great. Send it to all your mom's church friends is my <laughs> thought. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's Sorry, I just, I just jabbered a lot about right, it. Yeah. No, and I think the other thing is, like, you know, what are we doing here in, like, deconstructing, you know, how did we get here? systems, especially systems of privilege, have these ways of allowing us to not look at suffering and trauma and injustice. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's the question of like, that's what we're going to talk about today. How do we tell, how do we end up telling stories even that like seem to be biblically based, right? That actually allow us to turn an eye away from the suffering, which is like just, just going through this time of like hearing all the defenses of white evangelicals on Facebook about why racism isn't a problem. I just keep on being reminded of like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. They're like, this is the way that it goes. And if you're suffering, it's because you didn't follow the rules. Oh, or, yeah. You know. That's absolutely. That's what our big economic gurus say. That's what mm-hmm. pastors say. That you know. Right. So I think we are seeing a tipping point culturally. I mean, defund the police is now actually being addressed in city council meetings, stuff like that. And it's exciting times. I hope white evangelicals can be part of this change. I feel quite kind of cynical about it. But at the same time, I also want to celebrate the progress I do see. And of course, people are joining late. Mm -hmm. They're still welcome to the table. But it's okay to give them a little bit of side eye for being so late. (laughs) And let's not give them a ton of cookies either. You know, like let's elevate the people that have been talking about this for forever, which mostly is going to be people of color and uh, black people in particular. So Mm -hmm. listen to them. Phil Vischer should just be your entry point. Mm -hmm. Right? Right, yeah. Do not camp out there, please. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all that to say, I kind of wanted to contrast – the Phil Vischer Veggie Tales racial injustice video, mm-hmm. the Bob the Tomato defunds the police video. Not really, uh-huh. he didn't say that, but um, with this episode we watched, and it was brought to our attention by Wendy Welch. So thank you, Wendy, for uh, emailing me about this because I never heard of it. First of all, is this show called Davy and Goliath, which is weird because mm-hmm. that's like a biblical story. But then the show is actually like a claymation show about a boy named Davy and his dog named Goliath. Right. I know. Right. So Goliath is like good, like a great character. Right. Like man's best friend is Goliath. It's Uh very confusing. Yeah. Um, Did you grow up watching this weird claymation show? No, I did not. Never? No. Not once? Uh Uh-uh. I definitely did. Oh, huh. I feel like it was on Saturday mornings or something, like after all the good cartoons were over, mm. there was like one channel that was like the Christian channel and it mm. had Davy and Goliath. And since it Sloppy looked Sloppy leftovers. Yes. So it was like it was like around <laughs> eleven, you know, when like all uh-huh. the good cartoons are gone. Right. Cause Saturday morning was like the one day of the week my mom mm. let us mm-hmm. watch TV like a lot. And so we yeah. just did it up, you know what right. I mean? Pepper Ann and Oh, don't even get me started on Pepper Ann. Anyway. Pepper Ann, Pepper Ann. Um, so I definitely have seen it before. Definitely feels like a Christian person's Gumby. 
Because it is. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? It's the same person who made Gumby. Oh, no, made, I didn't. Made Davy and Goliath, the exact uh-huh. same person. So imagine that level of claymation, which is charming mm-hmm. in, a, in a way. In a certain way. In a certain way. Um, but guess who, like, funded and produced these these uh, episodes. The biblical council for a man, hundred woman head. Well, if they had been around, they would have. It was actually the Lutheran Church of America. Oh, okay. It's a Lutheran show. My least favorite. Oh, whoosh. Mainline. Why did I say whoosh? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, why do you have something against Lutherans? Just because I think that they tend to be. Well, that's been the only mainline denomination that I've, like, interacted with that were super patriotic and, like, we're going to take a Sunday to, like, talk about how great the military is. And they're super into the armed forces. That was just one service we went to, to a Lutheran church in our neighborhood. So we won't paint all Lutherans with a broad brush. But, so, this was, you know, financed by the Lutheran Church of America. It's about a little boy named Davy, his dog Goliath, and he's the only one who could understand his dog. Everybody else just hears like barks, but then Davy can understand what the dog's saying. Um, and then you know, it's like basically Adventures in Odyssey before is Adventures in Odyssey because it's like all these life situations. How do you find God in them? How do you learn to be obedient to God and um, all that stuff? Real life. Is it? I, mean, I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's the. What they're uh, so, trying to do. So it first started airing in 1961, which, you know, I, I would say the 60s were a period of obvious civil unrest, you know, kind of what we're experiencing mm-hmm. today. So that's an interesting time to be making cartoons for kids about. And, and they try to do deeper issues the, the longer the series went on. Mm-hmm. One of the things is that some of Davy's best friends are black. And so. I saw one article saying, like, this is the first time an interracial friendship was, Hmm. like, on television. So that was seen as really progressive and all that. However, what are we going to talk about today? This episode called Blind Man's Bluff. Now, I thought it aired earlier, but it didn't. It it aired in 1971 or 72. 72. 72. That's what IMDb said. So... This is coming a little bit later mm-hmm. than I thought, but uh, do you want to give us well, a little episode recap? Or yeah, we- I mean, I th- yeah, I do. I'm excited about doing a 30-second episode recap. Ooh. Remember those? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's important to notice that this is, like, 1972, so it's sort of, like, after a lot of changes have been forced to have been made. Yeah. And so then it's sort of like, okay, well, how do we make sense of this new reality where we can't be overtly racist is my thought. But anyway. Okay. So... Okay, you ready? Yes. 30 seconds, go. Okay, so Davey has a black friend, and black friend has a cousin who is involved in a chemistry lab uh, accident and is blinded for three days. Cousin, black cousin, does not like white people, right? And so- His name's Scotty. Okay, Scotty. I don't have time for those details in 30 ah! seconds. Uh, and so then uh, Davey goes and hangs out with him for- uh, three days while he has bandages over his eyes and uh, you know Scotty doesn't know that Davy is white and then uh, the bandages come off and then he learns that he actually can like white people because people are deeper than the color of their skin or something like that also Goliath is prejudiced against spotted dogs and learns a lesson okay pretty good so Davy's best friend is named Jimmy by the way <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the the phrase that was hammered over and over again in this episode was that Scotty hates white people. He hates all white people. And 
refuses to be in a room with a white person and probably doesn't even like white dogs. Probably is and, what it says. In yeah, there. and so it's like Jimmy, you know, who's black, and his dad are really concerned about their cousin Scotty. So they are the ones that kind of concoct this idea mm-hmm. that while he's been partially blinded and had bandages over his eyes, which as a child that would have horrified me, mm-hmm. the idea that you could be like blinded for a week. Because you're messing around with your chemistry set. Anyways. Right. Yeah. I, we watched it with our kids. I did. And our five-year-old, there's this metaphor at the end about having smoke in your eyes. And he's like, if you get smoke in your eyes, you really don't have to have bandages for three days, do you? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, some body horror in this right. uh, yes. in this episode. But, yeah. And so it's all about they're so worried about Scotty being so racist against white people Mm -hmm. and um you know davy doesn't learn a lesson here it's all about this little black boy Mm -hmm. learning a lesson to love white people and there's one scene that just like is (laughs) burned into my brain which is jimmy's dad owns a drugstore but the kind that like has counters that you can sit at and like order milkshakes or whatever and so Jimmy's dad is like behind the counter and then it's Davey and Scotty and Jimmy. So they're all sitting on these stools. So it's like a white boy and two black boys sitting at the counter. Scotty still has his bandages on and they had some sort of conversation. Like Scotty says, like, can you imagine like even one white boy taking care of me the way that Davey's taking care of me? And the dad says, oh, I can imagine one boy. And they all like look at each other, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Uncle Bill, can you see a white kid taking the trouble? I can see one, yes. I knew you'd say that. I hope someday you will. So the reason that stood out to me so much is it immediately brought to mind some images from the civil rights movement that took place at a counter of a drugstore, right? And so that would be... um, the protest, the sit-in protest that took place mm-hmm. at the Woolworths. I don't know how to say that. It's like a departmental drugstore kind of store. Mm-hmm. And this took place in the 1960s, right? And so it's not that far removed from this episode. But do you know much about the sit-ins and how they started at these mm-hmm. drugstore counters? No. Yeah, it, it's happened in Greensboro, Um South Carolina. I almost said North Carolina. Mm -hmm. We don't have that many Southern listeners, so they won't be that offended. (laughs) So it it turned into this thing where these freshmen, these black boys, men who are freshmen in college were just sick of like the Mm -hmm. Jim Crow laws and being segregated. And especially in places like drugstores, department stores, they had to go to their own counter to like make purchases and they weren't allowed to eat food inside these places. And so they decided to just sit down and ask to be served. Of course they weren't. And then they just stayed until Mm -hmm. the store closed. Mm -hmm. The owner didn't call the police. And then the next day they came back with like 30 people. Mm. They brought all their homework. They weren't served. They were just asking for coffee. Mm -hmm. So they did their homework for four hours and then they went home. They started organizing on campus and getting more and more people from different campuses. They started getting women to be involved, all this stuff. Eventually, it was like thousands of people would pack in there, right, mm-hmm. and just sit or just stand. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's counter-protesters. There's, like, white men that would come and sit down and harass and heckle and all this stuff. So it turned into this, like, long-standing movement. It started going into other cities and other department stores. Um, and Woolworth eventually stopped – segregating in that way and they started serving black customers at the counter um but here's a tidbit it Mm. wasn't because the protesters just kept 
showing up. Uh-huh. It was because they started to lose a bunch of money because the protesters, they did sit-ins, but they also told people, like, stop supporting any store that segregates. And so, mm. um, and even the manager of Woolworth, that one store, like, his pay got docked, his salary got docked because their sales were so low. Mm. And just, so then one day, quietly, he just, he had four black employees and he just said, like, okay, change out of your uniform into regular clothes and, and sit at the counter and, and I'll serve you food. So those were the first four African-American people to be served out of Woolworths were these employees that he was just like, I have to do this to make a buck, uh-huh. which is like horrifying to me reading mm-hmm. that. It's it's not like I think societal change and pressure is incredible. I think mm-hmm. what the Greensboro Four did, these four men, was incredible, amazing. Mm-hmm. It was very democratic. Like they would organize all the students on campus and they would take a vote. Like, should mm-hmm. we go and sit in? at Woolworths today and so they wouldn't do it if no if people hadn't voted a majority but people did yeah but then it's like because we live in America where race and capitalism are so tied together Mm -hmm. change didn't actually happen until you know the bottom line was Mm -hmm. addressed right which reminds me of the Adventures in Odyssey series that we went through where Mr. Mr. Whitaker is talking about the economic impacts of not supporting LGBTQ movement right and he's like well you know like you have to stand to your principles unless it like seems reasonable to do otherwise economically right. i don't remember what he says but he basically is like except if you really start losing money unless if it's bad business sense right so yeah. christians white christians really have this tension right of right they want to stick to their principles either it's pro-segregation or it's anti-lgbtq equality rights mm-hmm. until it makes bad business sense and and so we're probably in a period of that more for LGBTQ rights right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still, we still obviously have so much work to do when it comes to race. And so the end of this Davy and Goliath episode really is like, why can't we just pretend that, you know, no matter what color you are, it doesn't matter. And they really, they, they use this language that I've heard a lot. Like Davy's like, I could be purple with white spots. Mm-hmm. I could be red. I could be, right. you know. Anything but saying, like, I'm a part of a privileged mm-hmm. hierarchy right. based on race. Right. Yeah. His younger sister is like, we're not white. We're pink. Which I've definitely heard white ladies call themselves uh-huh. pink. And it is awkward. Mm-hmm. It's very awkward. <laughs> I just need to be honest to say that. They're always liberal ladies. Ah! Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And so, so it really puts forth this idea of both colorblindness as what we should ascribe to. Mm-hmm. It's ahistorical. And black people are racist against white people. Mm-hmm. I got to say, I really like Davy. He's a good white person, ah! just like me. <laughs> I was shocked when you said Okay, we talk, I mean, I feel like in public discourse, there's a lot of talk about white women's tears, and I mm-hmm. get that. I'm a white lady, and I cry sometimes. It's, it's, it's got to be exhausting. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I you're mean, a person of color, right? Right, right. Actually, I mean... We see Davy, right? That's what I was going to say. Yeah. You say it. Yeah. So, I mean, so Scotty comes out from the doctor's office and he can see, uh-huh. right? And he sees Davy, realizes he's white. And he's like, you're white. Uh-huh. Then he walks out and then Davy's left crying. You see his little claymation tears come out of his eyes sitting in the doctor's office. The claymation tears of a white boy who has been discriminated against because of the color of his skin. Well, doesn't that just happen every day, Crispin? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that just happen every darn day? Yes, it's 
it's really horrifying mm-hmm. uh, taken all together to see that the concept, I would say the concept of colorblindness was put forth in direct correlation to this idea that white people somehow have been stigmatized against. Mm-hmm. And then you absolutely ignore all history to what Phil Vischer was talking about with Michelle Alexander's been talking about wealth building segregation laws, the Greensboro for like mm-hmm. even to have this take place at a, a counter where I, I'm, I'm like, they're bringing up the civil rights imagery mm-hmm. and then totally twisting it to be that black people hate white people. It's like, maybe black people do hate white people. Why do you think that is? Mm -hmm. Do you think they have a good reason to? Right. I do. Yeah, right. I was (laughs) talking to Ramona about it, and I was like, so imagine if if someone at your school just bullied you for years and years and years, and then at the end, like, you know, you're about to graduate or whatever, and they're like, I don't know what the problem is between us. Like, I just think, like, I don't know why you don't like me. Like, if you just liked me, then we could, like, get along better. And actually, abusers use that language all the time. Right, totally. So that's abusive language. Right. And it's a tested and true way of right. of using your power dynamic, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, it reminds me of, I remember in second grade, Ramona brought home that story about Dr. King, okay. right? And uh, our daughter. Yeah. Um, and uh, basically, the story was, was like... was first grade. Okay, yeah. And the story, yeah, you're, I think you're right. Um, and the story was, uh, Dr. King, you know, led protests because white people and black people weren't getting along. And we were like, no, (laughs) that's not exactly what happened. So I watched this video on my own and you can find it on YouTube. It's totally free. David Goliath, Blind Man's Bluff. I really think people should watch it Mm -hmm. because, uh, like Wendy, who, who showed me the video and sent me the link was talking about like how much it impressed upon her this idea, um, the ideas within it. It was really powerful. Mm-hmm. And so I would say this is like a totally negative legacy that evangelicals have to deal with. Why did the Lutheran Church put this out? Why did they why did they put out a video about a little black boy hating white boys and the white boy crying about it? Right. I mean it's reframing the whole narrative. It's reframing the entire narrative. Mm-hmm. It's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. I feel okay. really upset right now. I want to talk about the color blindness okay. aspect. And um, you have some tidbit you are just waiting to yes. pull out. I know yes. you are. I which know I, you which are. ties okay. together okay. with this, okay? So, um, in you know, one of the things that they say is like, if you met in a cave, you wouldn't know this person from another person, right? Like, you wouldn't be able to tell someone's skin color. Which is, like, when people focus on skin color, then it... I mean, and they'll say this. They'll be like, oh, I have a black friend, right? And there's no problem. And what we're talking about is, like, culture, right? So if a black person can talk like a white person, can fit all, like, white culture standards, then there's not a problem, right? And so, like, I mean, it even brings up the question, like, why in in this uh, interracial friendship in these three different boys, like, how how come Scotty couldn't tell that Davey was white? And let me tell you why. Is because everyone in this episode sounds like Mr. Whitaker because <laughs> Hal Smith uh, voices the dog, uh, the friend Jimmy, uh, the uncle, the doctor, 
Like he voices the doctor is black. Yeah. Like voices all these people. They all sound like pretty much the same. Like if yeah. you're watching the video, then you're like, oh, these are different people. But if you were just listening, you're like, this is just Mr. Whitaker like doing different voices. Scotty, come on in. Maybe we shouldn't have done it. We have to try to help people change, Johnny. Not their minds, their hearts. We have to try. It always comes back to Mr. Whitaker. If you're new to this podcast, I, DL, hate Mr. Whitaker from Adventures in Odyssey. Let's just get mm-hmm. that out of the way right now. Right. So there's a lot of epic wits blades, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah, right. David when, Goliath when, when he says, like, we have to not change minds, but change hearts. It's exactly. Change black people's hearts. Yes. To love white people. Mm-hmm. This is the most victimy of victimhood things I've ever seen mm-hmm. in my relatively middle-aged life. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Right, yeah. And the reason we really focus in on, like, kids' things is because these are designed. This is the Lutheran Church of America poured, like, a significant amount of money to shape young kids' minds, right? Mm-hmm. And this is what they wanted to shape it into. So, yeah, we are at the point where, like... People like myself need someone like Bob the Tomato to do a little bit of course correcting. You know what I mean? Right. So again, not to give too much credit to Phil Vischer, but he he's going outside the norm where I think white America and white evangelicalism in particular has been on the colorblind train, mm-hmm. the ahistorical colorblind train for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just kind of hope that this time right now just – I want business as usual to be interrupted, mm-hmm. um, specifically yeah. around the ahistoricalness of it all. Mm-hmm. Even me just being like, why did that image of these boys at this soda shop, why did it, why did that really impact me? And then I had to go and research the Greensboro sit in, you know, and like mm-hmm. doing the work to research and to sit with it and to care. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we need to do. Right. Yeah. And not care about Davy's tears. Uh-huh. Right. Why did Scotty hate white people? That is a question I want answered. <laughs> now, when you watch this with our kids, what did I wasn't with you? What What did they think of it? All right. So our daughter was like, "This is wrong because it goes the other way." Um, and so you know, like white people don't like black people, but black people like white people. Oh, <laughs> so which is a reflection of. I mean, it's actually like a reflection of the relationships that she has in her life. Yeah. uh, For better or for worse. So that means, like, if that's kind of your perception, that probably means, like Ramona, she hasn't had a relationship with someone of color that could really share with her, you know, she's 10. Like, right? Like, she's nine. Right. You're, you forgot how old her daughter is. She really wants, she keeps on being like, Sam, 10. Oh, right. She'll be 10 soon. That's true. Um, and yeah, so not hearing that, but she does know about uh, white supremacy. Yeah, right, exactly. So, and she's seen in action. We've taken her a few protests, mm-hmm. and she's seen these white guys in huge trucks, like gunning up and down the street, tr- trying to scare us. And we're just mm-hmm. out there trying to say that Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. You know, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor deserve justice. You know, and she. I thought she'd be really scared, like, by these trucks and mm-hmm. these angry white guys. And she she was just so funny. She was just like, what's wrong with them? Don't they know the world's changing? And I'm just like, okay, girl. <laughs> so great. That's because also because we listen to a lot of the Hairspray soundtrack. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, that's really funny. 
Um, but we talked about how, like, even if the narrative was flipped, right, that white supremacy isn't just about relationships and friendships. And we talked about how it's not just about feelings, but it's this whole system that's been created, which is really where, like, white evangelicals, um, so this book divided by faith came out in 2000. Lots of people know about it, but, um, just really important information because they actually did research with white evangelicals. And basically what it is, is in a nutshell is like, because, uh, evangelical faith is so tight knit and there's like a, a strength to that. Uh, we could say, <laughs> right, then you're more likely to like have a barbecue with your Bible study than with your coworkers. But that also means that you have a more secluded life, more um, uh, sheltered. Yeah. No, I was going to say segregated life. Right. And so um, the the idea of systemic racism, you don't know anyone who's experienced it. So it feels like a farce. And then if there are people of color that might want to be part of a white evangelical church, Usually it's like either they have similar ideology or they probably won't be able to won't want to stay there very long. Right. And so you end up filtering out people that have a different perspective. Um, But really like looking at like white evangelicals lack the imagination or the like cultural tools to understand systemic racism, which also fits together with our emphasis on individualism. Some stuff that you talk about in your book, right? Like it's really like we lack a collectivist like framework. And so I think that can be really helpful because I think we can just like end up when we think about like white people from especially from an older generation, we end up being like, why don't you get it? And this book actually answers like, here's why they don't get it, which I think is a good starting point. So I think what you're saying is true. And if you could sum up Divided by Faith in one sense that Christians, like from a sociologist's point of view, mm-hmm. white evangelical Christians in the United States do not have the tools to understand systemic issues, mm-hmm. period. Our f- economics, racism, sexism, abuse, none of that can they see a systemic framework for. It's always about individuals, right? So... What we have seen as people are starting to wake up a bit to the fact that racism might be a huge issue at play in many factors in our society is when you don't have the tools to deal with that, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like people just shut down. Mm -hmm. They opt out. And we've had this experience, right? People just asking us, like, what do we do? What do we – if it's so bad and it's so big, like, what do we do? And it's Because they truly have never had to – really reckon with an entire system being corrupt yeah i mean i i was telling you this yesterday i feel like progressives are like oh my gosh i'm so overwhelmed this is so heavy what do i do and i would say conservatives faced with the same information also feel emotionally overwhelmed but what they do is they're like well i guess there's nothing i can do i guess we just gotta like like go on with business as normal and they're both responses to being overwhelmed one looks like paralysis the other looks like dismissiveness Mm. yeah i I don't think i can speak to that exactly but in general we can just say we lack the tools Mm -hmm. i'm thinking particularly of people from a conservative framework that when i push them they're like oh yeah there is a problem here they don't want to change the entire system right yeah i I think that's correct right so i'm not yeah i mean there are some people that are like lack the tools but like there are some people i'm like okay so how do you explain that disproportionate uh, that there's a disproportionate people of color that enter the prison system. Yeah. Right. I would say both both groups, though, fundamentally 
perhaps don't want the system to change because they maybe have benefited from the system, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah, and I think I think that we need to do a lot of education and learning um, about the system. This is just me as as a therapist. What I have seen a lot in my circles is like people being like, well, we need to learn how to be more culturally sensitive. We need to understand the experience of others. But we fall short of saying like, well, this whole system is inequitable. How do we change the system? We can't just read books. Like we need to read books. We need to start there. But we also need to be listening to the voices of people that have been marginalized in the system that are leading us and how to change the system, which is going to require some sacrifice on our part. Which is why defund the police is such a really good example for people to start to dip a toe into what would it look like to have the imagination to change our systems and of course that phrase is so scary Mm -hmm. so many white people and then you just start to look at like okay how much does my city spend on our public school versus the police department Mm. well they probably spend a lot more on the police department and i I think most people can be like huh that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that's about. Or like, look at the United States' you know military mm-hmm. budget. And and going back to Dr. King, like he was really, really obsessed with talking about the militarization of the United States and the police force. Mm-hmm. Like both how we interacted with people overseas and how we treated our own citizens mm-hmm. with the police and this increasing militarization. It's only gotten exponentially worse mm-hmm. since he died. I mean. <sighs> That's the other thing, man. When when I watched this David Goliath video, it was aired in 1972, thinking about this little black boy who hates white people. Well, Dr. King was murdered four years previously and in 1968. And the thing is, I was reading this piece about uh, James Baldwin and how he did and didn't interact with Dr. King. And it's not like they were like best buddies or whatever. And But, you know, they had a lot of respect for each other. And when when... James Baldwin got the call that Dr. King was murdered. He was like in shock and he was like, they murdered the nonviolent one. Like Mm. that's the level of white supremacy in the United States is they murdered the guy who was obsessed with Mm nonviolence. And it's so sobering, Mm. right? When we look at our history And that we've murdered people who were absolutely committed to nonviolent protests. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. There's a a reason why. (laughs) If if you're black in America, you would have reason to not trust white people. Mm -hmm. And that little cartoon just erased all of that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a... Downer, I can tell you're feeling down, Crispin. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. You don't need to be sorry for my white man tears. Do you have claymation tears rolling and, down your face right now? Davy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a it's a tumultuous time and and I see some positives coming out of it. Mm-hmm. If we can experience some cultural shifts some cultural changes, if we can, you know, I think for you and I as white evangelicals, like a part of our work is to, for ourselves, sort of gain the tools to to engage in a systemic framework and to help our people do the same. But it's exhausting because, oof, how? Right. I mean, how long has it taken us to even start to understand a little bit of it? Mm-hmm. I know. I remember in 2012 
being introduced to the new Jim Crow. Yeah. And like, sitting... it's like a fire hose, by the way. Right. Yeah. You're not... Right. Cause we like, yeah, we I went, read it. We went to the, I went to the CCDA uh-huh. um, and someone was, was basically kind of summarizing the book. And I was like, I just had no framework no. for it. I was like, I don't even know, like this sounds really bad, but I don't know what this means. And even though we've read that book, mm-hmm. like hearing it reiterated, like we should probably have that reiterated to us once a year. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like I also forget just how widespread, it, you know, I, was talking, I did a podcast interview with someone in Australia mm-hmm. and talking about the U.S. and all this stuff. And he was just like, yeah, you guys have the worst prison system, all this police brutality. Like you go to war all the time. And I was just like, you're right. You're right. We live in the bad place. We live in the bad place. But like we grew up in the bad place. So for right. us, it's normal. But like mm-hmm. people from elsewhere, like this Australian theologian is just like, it's insane what you guys do. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Right. Where I'm sure that like a lot of our listeners have been doing um, their own work and like reading things, but I wonder like what would you suggest? Oh, I don't have anything to say about what to do next. I think that for me, I, I want to keep listening and being uncomfortable. I love that the New York Times bestseller list is mostly people of color. To- talking about racism. I love that people like Jamar Tisby and Austin Channing Brown are on there. Like it's, it's an exciting time for people to be prioritizing these voices. Um, I would say for me, I think the past few weeks have really revealed to me that I still, I still really struggle with white fragility and I, um, really, really struggle with wanting to be a good white person. And that, I think that's really crippling uh, to me spiritually and, just in my life and so having to get over that and um being wrong being disliked being um making mistakes and just kind of wanting to move forward and and seeing god's dream for the world happen and you know i think this is just a part of my life going forward is just to see god's dream for the world happen we have to center the people who are the farthest from flourishing so Mm -hmm. that's just what I want to keep doing going forward. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I think, um, it's funny. I asked the question and I was not prepared to answer. Well, you've, you have recently gone back and reread, um, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Right? Uh, no, actually, but I was just referencing it because I remember that from years ago. You, that, really impacted you mm-hmm. and it's back on the new york times bestselling list oh, which is so very exciting right yeah. so i think you would probably recommend that book you also mm-hmm. mentioned um i bring the voices of my people mm-hmm. which is a really really great look at evangelical rec- racial reconciliation efforts right. i would highly recommend that's why dr shanika walker barnes uh-huh. I read it last and i think year. what's really good about that is it was written in the last two years mm-hmm. and so like even stuff that was written in like 2012 like just like there's been so much that has happened right so So, because like in 2012 obama was starting a second term yeah and so she writes in the beginning of the book like so obama was president and then let's see what happens next yeah right it's so true and so like kind of putting not that things have drastically changed um but just like having a framework of like where are we at specifically now 
um, I think is really important. Um, so I really appreciated that about her book. And her book does not get talked about enough. Right. It yeah. should be on the New York Times bestselling list, too. Mm-hmm. Right, Let's just yeah. get out there. Just us with our influence. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Crispin. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening. This is this is a tough topic, I, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's a heartbreaking topic. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I think one that challenges us. Hopefully, I, it's something that I've just like, protests have been about police brutality. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to recognize that white supremacy has touched every single arena of American life. Yeah. And so we need to look at like, Every part of our life. Including and, cartoons. Right. Including cartoons. So we've got the cartoon beat covered. <laughs> uh, no, but seriously, if you have episodes of something that you think you want us to talk about, please send it in. We're grateful to Wendy for pointing us to this episode mm-hmm. of Dave and Goliath, Blind Man's Bluff. You can watch mm-hmm. on YouTube. I mean, why not watch it with your kids if you have kids and yeah. have a discussion about it? So we're going to be talking about this a lot more on our upcoming season, which do we want to... Yeah. Drop what that's about. Mm-hmm. But first, I'll just say we will be talking about how to have conversations with your kids around media that has troubling things in it. Do you mm-hmm. ignore it completely? Do you throw the book away? Do you burn it? Do you ignore it? What do you, what do we do? We'll, we'll be talking about that. Mm-hmm. We would suggest having discussions, you know, mm-hmm. explicit right. discussions with your kids as you watch or read things with them. And we'll be talking about why that's our recommendation. But Crispin. Right. Which was why we were talking about why do all the black kids sit together in the cafeteria? Yeah. In that book, she talks about like teaching your kids to keep an eye out for themes of racism and sexism yeah. in media. But anyway, what were you asking me? What is our next season going to be about? Chronicles of Narnia. Chronic. What? <laughs> See, Goals I was in Narnia. China. You're supposed to finish it by thing. Sorry, I've never seen that. Oh my gosh. We will rectify that. Okay. So uh, we're working on putting that season together because of our patron supporters. We can do work like this because it actually takes a ton of work when it's mm-hmm. not just you and me jabbering about something. When mm-hmm. we're interviewing experts, right. woo, it's a lot of work. But we are going to, you know, we're going to conquer that golden calf that is the Chronicles of Narnia books. It's an idol. It's mm-hmm. an idol. For evangelicals, my friend. Did you know this? I'm just kidding. I did know that. Don't worry. We're not going to ruin the books for you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I I truly agree. I don't think that we will. It will not go the way of Adventures in Odyssey did for me. You know, because it ruined. No. This is not an AIO situation. Right. Yeah. Um, We're going to get into some murky stuff, but Mm -hmm. I've been kind of like shocked at... um, some of the revelations I've had. So mm-hmm. look forward to it. Twisty right. turny episodes. Yeah. And can we, uh, since we're putting this out for general public, yeah. can you let people know about our Patreon system? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do have a Patreon. That's how we get the few coins we need to do all this work. Um, we have three levels, but you don't get anything special if you pay more money. This is all about wealth redistribution. And so if you're wealthy, pay more. If you're not wealthy, pay less. Right? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. So you can start at $1.50 a month. Yeah. Um, or $4 or $8. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, whatever. But every little bit helps. And uh, you can help choose the, the little things we talk about and even help us shape our next seasons because eventually we're going to be doing Christian romance, which will be really intense. So thank you everybody for supporting us. Um, I'm Dion Mayfield and I 
had a book released, The Myth of the American Dream. You can you can read it. You can buy it. You can it's get great. from your library. And you know, I'm on Twitter and all that, but I'm trying to get I'm trying to be on there a little bit less. You can write to us at the Prophetic Imagination Station. At it's prophetic uh-huh. imagination station at gmail.com. We love your emails. Mm-hmm. Kristen, where can people find you? Uh K underscore underscore Mayfield at on Twitter mm-hmm. um, is primary place I'm hanging out. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.